Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Well, we're a week into the new year, and while we're still dealing with last year's problems, it appears we haven't broken anything yet in 2021, so things may be looking up. One thing I have noticed is that there seems to be less talk about resolutions this January and more talk about resets. We all just want to return to normal and find balance in our lives again. So balance is the common theme we'll be pursuing this month on what she said as we search for it in all aspects of our lives. Of course, there is no bigger need for most of us to find balance than when it comes to our mental health. 2020 tested the limits of our capabilities when it came to stress and trauma, and the effects will be felt for a long time. Dr. Mary Bartram from the Mental Health Commission of Canada joins me to share how they are working tirelessly to ensure all Canadians have access to quality mental health care and about programs you can access right now. As we approach a year now of ongoing lockdowns and restricted social gatherings, most of us are feeling a little stir-crazy. Travel, after all, is an itch that needs to be scratched. But what will that look like in 2021? Mariam Siddiqui, lifestyle editor at The Globe and Mail and frequent bird of passage, joins me to share her thoughts on how we'll wander this coming year. One area we can all admit we have little balance in right now is our binge watching. Have no fear, I'm not here to take it away from you. Sometimes balance means doing the things that get you through. And honestly, Bridgerton on Netflix has rescued January for me. But what next? Anne Brody, our entertainment guru, joins me to share the latest releases you won't want to miss this week. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. It's just that some of us are better at utilizing our time. Karma Brown is the author of five bestsellers and is a reformed night owl. She chased her dream of being an author by allocating just a small portion of her day to writing and is now sharing her tips for getting what you want, be it better health, pursuing a passion, or advancing your career, with the 4% fix, how one hour a day can change your life. We all want to smile more in 2021, so now is the time to address the effects stress may have had on our dental health last year. Anita Deddy from Dental X joins me to share the most pro- common problems they are seeing and how to address them. Finally, adults aren't the only ones desperately seeking homeostasis. Your teenagers want and need some balance in their lives as well. Allie Payne, what she said's expert on all things to do with teens, joins me to share how you can nudge your adolescents to find some equilibrium of their own. It's another full week meant to educate, empower, and entertain. So let's jump in right now for this week's What She Said. Here's a worrying statistic. The percentage of Canadians reporting strong mental health is down from 67% in 2019 to just 44% this past October. With at least months more to go and possibly another year in our struggle to beat this pandemic, it's hard to imagine those numbers going back up. The Mental Health Commission of Canada has been hard at work providing information, tip sheets, and other resources to Canadians on how to take care of their mental health and providing advice to governments, service providers, and employers on how to mitigate the potential mental health impacts of COVID-19 and foster resiliency. Dr. Mary Bartram is currently the Director, COVID-19 Policy with the Mental Health Commission of Canada and joins me now to discuss the state of mental health with women in particular in Canada. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bartram. Very pleased to be here, Candice. So let's talk about women in particular because they have particular risk factors for mental health concerns uh, that, that men don't have. So what are those concerns or risk factors? Well, first of all, I think it's important to say that COVID-19 is taking a toll on everyone's mental health and uh, men and women both. And uh, when it comes to women in particular, I think the most concerning risk is the increase in intimate partner violence and and, uh, the obviously the physical safety risks, physical health risks, but the mental health impacts of that are ones that are very concerning. Um, Poverty is an issue that women uh, 
face a higher risk for even before the pandemic and with the pandemic and the job losses associated with the pandemic, that's also taken uh, uh, more of a toll on, on women, although of course many men have been affected by that as well. And we know that poverty has a significant impact on people's mental health and well-being. So that's another uh, risk factor that's a particular concern for women. Uh, Work-life balance is another one. And this week in particular with kids across the country not going back to school, um, all parents with young kids are, are facing a tough uh, return to work after the holidays. Um, and of course, uh, this affects moms and dads uh, and moms uh, though do often bear the brunt of, of some of those work-life challenges. So juggling, uh, trying to work online from home and trying to, uh, especially with younger kids, keep them focused and engaged in online school is a huge Herculean task. And, uh, you know, those stresses accumulate. Um, so for my colleagues who are doing that again this, this week after not having had to do it for a number of months, it's a, it's a pretty tough, tough week to be uh, starting off the new year. Um, the other challenge I think it's important to recognize is that it's a tough time to be pregnant and to be giving birth and having a, a new baby um, that we don't have access to our normal um, community supports, healthcare system supports, family supports. So it's a really weird time to be um, going through a pregnancy or giving birth, especially for the first time if you don't, haven't had kids before, but also for people who've got more than one kid, suddenly there's um, uh, some additional stresses and challenges uh, that uh, make it a particularly tough time, I think, to be, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be trying to have babies at this, this time in the middle of the pandemic, so. Yeah, you know, I, I feel for for parents out there, you know, my my daughter fractured her arm this week, and we now need to go to Chio and they're talking about a two to four hour appointment. And just the thought of that is stressing me out, because I feel like I'm walking into the eye of the storm into a hospital. So I imagine all parents feel like that when they go to any sort of medical appointment right now. Uh, I'm thinking, particularly with kids who are struggling with chronic illnesses, this must be very stressful for people. Mm, absolutely. And um, you know, it's a tough time to be a young adult as well, or a teenager. And I don't think we've seen any statistics around that being any harder or, or less hard on uh, young, younger, young women than young men. Um, but it's, it's definitely another challenge for parents is how to support their older children as well in navigating uh, the pandemic and, and um, lots of stress and anxiety among youth. And that comes back on parents as well to figure out how to support their older children. Let's roll back to the beginning of this pandemic then for just a second and talk about, you know, when we first went into lockdown last March, how soon was it that you were recognizing some of these issues at the Mental Health Commission? Right from the beginning, I would say uh, there was a recognition from within the organization that there were gonna be some significant uh, mental health and mental health policy issues coming along with the pandemic. Like most organizations, our first priority was uh, to support our staff in navigating the transition to that initial lockdown and supporting and promoting their mental well-being. Um, but uh, from a, a policy perspective, thinking about the mental health impacts of uh, the public health measures, the lockdowns, the social distancing, the physical distancing, um, working from home, schools being closed. It was very easy to see that there could be some significant mental health impacts that came along with uh, these public health measures, in addition to you know, the fear of being infected, the, you know, as we've rolled along the, the accumulations of grief and loss for, for many Canadians who've lost people who are close to them from, from the pandemic. Um, so uh, yeah, absolutely, right from the beginning, 
very much uh, a strong focus. And we saw this around the world that mental health was part of the conversation about the response to the pandemic right from the very beginning. Um, so uh, the Mental Health Commission worked on a couple of fronts. We uh, started putting out things like tip sheets and resources uh, very early on and have continued to uh, do that. Um, our most recent one was about helping employees through the winter uh, as we start in on that stretch, as you mentioned in your introduction. Um, we also uh, offered training, a lot of training on how to uh, cope with uh, mental health, how to support uh, and take care of um, the mental health of those close to us and, and our own mental health. And this was offered to essential workers early on, um, building on the mental health first aid training that we've been doing for a number of years. We also, and this is where I came in, have been undertaking a lot of different policy research, particularly on how mental health is being affected by the pandemic for populations that may be particularly hard hit. So people with serious mental illness before the pandemic, what's it been like for them to navigate uh, all of the disruptions to services and these new stresses? Um, people in correctional settings um, where the public health measures have particular um, uh, impact because you're already incarcerated and if you're further confined for public health reasons, what are the mental health impacts of that experience? Um, people from racialized communities who are often um, also uh, in roles as essential uh, workers. And uh, those are two populations that have been particularly hard hit by the pandemic and the mental health impacts for those populations have accumulated as well. You definitely have your work cut out for you. Uh, we only have a minute or so left here and I really want to take a second and highlight uh, Wellness Together Canada because I think it's so important for people to know about this. So if you could just talk briefly to that and, and how people can access it. Absolutely. So Wellness Together Canada portal is something that the federal government put together uh, to provide access to a full suite of virtual services from online tutorials about how to manage anxiety, right through to getting connected to a live counselor, either by phone or video, with a really quick turnaround time. It's free and it's available to all Canadians. So it's really quite brown, groundbreaking. Uh, I don't have the email to it right now, but I'm happy to provide that to you. And certainly if you Google Wellness Together Canada portal, you'll find it right away. Excellent. Uh, and if people want to connect with Mental Health Commission, where can they go? www.mentalhealthcommissioncanada.ca. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Bartram. You're welcome. Very nice to meet you. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Almost one year into lockdowns and social distancing, many Canadians are going a little stir-crazy wondering when they'll be able to travel again. My next guest is as equally excited about storytelling as she is about building processes. Mary M. Siddiqui specializes in lifestyle journalism and has more than 15 years experience leading teams in content creation. Her award-winning journalism has appeared in the Globe and Mail, National Post, Chatelaine, Report on Business, En Route, and Elle Canada, among other publications. Today, Mary Ann is joining me to share her thoughts on what we can expect to see for travel into 2021. Welcome to the show, Mary Ann. 
Thank you so much for having me. So right off the top, I just want to quickly discuss sort of this whole shaming that we're seeing around travel, particularly, you know, as we've seen all these politicians fleeing the country uh, for, you know, beach holidays uh, over the holidays, and now people are angry. Are we going to see that continuing uh, into 2021? I think I think it, with the politicians, especially, it's a it's a specific case because they for almost a year now, it's been 10 months pretty much, have been telling us to stay in place. And so to find out that especially, I think it's not so much, a lot of them actually went, not a lot of them, but I've heard a few of them actually went to like visit sick relatives or, you know, so in some cases you can make um, a legitimate cause for the travel, but there was the um, Rod Phillips in Ontario who like, taped in advance his Christmas message at home, knowing that he was going to be in some tropical paradise. Like I, it's a little bit of the don't do as I say, but don't do as I do, but also the sort of like trickery behind the scenes to try and make sure people don't find out about it. And I so think the average, yeah, sorry. I was going to say, I think the average person though feels some some trepidation about, you know, they want to go on travel, but they're worried about, you know, if they post a picture on Facebook, what their friends and family are going to think. Um, and so, you know, uh, I think people, if they want to travel, as long as they're taking all the necessary precautions, not putting anybody at risk, quarantining when they go home, uh, you know, then it's, then it's probably okay. Yeah, but I there's agree. There's still I, that risk of shaming that's going to happen. I totally. Think like maybe now is not the time to brag about it on Instagram, but I certainly for mental health, I've, I've like really felt the itch to, to book a plane ticket anywhere at this point. Um, th there's definitely ways to do it safely. And yeah, like maybe just don't broadcast it. <laughs> that would be so, my <laughs> So let's talk about vaccinations because, you know, so do you foresee that we're going to have to have proof of vaccination uh, in the short term to, to travel? I think so. And I think we should actually welcome that. Like I've traveled to places before where you need to show sort of a typhoid shot or, you know, hep A and B. Um, so I think we should kind of embrace that. And um, it, I think it's just going to be, or allow for a level of um, sort of safety and relaxation for everyone involved. Your airline and the hotel that you're staying at knows that you have that vaccination. You know that the other people there will have that vaccination. So I think it's a sort of a safety precaution that everyone can embrace for peace of mind, as well as obviously health safety. And, you know, booking a trip is not going to be the same anymore at all. Uh, you know, what we're looking for, you know, instead of a white sandy beach, you might be looking for, you know, uh, COVID protocols. Yeah. So how is that going to change for us when we're booking trips? Sure. I think that, I think, um, you know, it was so easy for us before to just be like, I need to get away. And you could find a deal and it didn't really matter which beach you ended up on as long as it was sunny and you had a tan or, you know, you, there was a city with a great restaurant. Now I think people are going to be really focused on, what sort of protocols do ho hotels have in advance? I think people are really going to be invested in the research part of the trip, which is actually great in a way because it's the anticipation of trip building that gives so much enjoyment, actually. And especially, you know, it's the buildup to the trip that you can get a lot of excitement out of. Um, but looking at places that have like really in, uh, stringent protocols in place to keep you safe, that maybe also allow for like your bubble to travel and not interfere or not sort of like cross bubbles with other people. So a lot of like private villas and things like that, which that sort of sounds expensive, but actually there's a lot of hotels that have, or a lot of resorts that have sort of casitas or, you know what I mean? Like individual buildings versus tower blocks of hotel rooms. So I think it's just, people are gonna be a little bit more choosier about where they stay as far as type of lodging. I bet you Airbnb, will skyrocket again because they're like private residences essentially. Right. So people are going to be looking at that. And in the short term, you know, I'm seeing right now, you know, you can book travel for 75% off. And yeah. so the cost of it seems to be lower. Are we going to be looking at lower prices and then a big explosion into higher costs because of this? Or where, what do you anticipate? I think there's a lot of places. I've, for hotels, I know that it's not, once you go low, it's kind of hard to build back up that, that base room rate. So I think for hotels, you're not gonna see um, a huge decrease. Right now there are amazing deals. And if you find them and uh, there's a lot that are like, buy now, travel later, pick your dates later. And if you need to cancel, you need to cancel. So, I mean, as a buyer, it's been a great time to like sort of find that dream trip and make, you know, click buy. Um, there's a lot of places though, 
um, like sunny destinations, destinations that really um, depend on tourism, where I think you're still going to see deals for quite a while into next year. Cities, not so much because there is a local population that can sustain the economy there. Well, I think this is a conversation we should probably pick up again at another time. We're running out of time. But if people want to know, uh, connect with you or find out more, catch your, re- your, your posts and articles about travel, where can they find you, Marianne? For sure. So I'm the lifestyle editor at the Globe and Mail, and we're putting out not a lot, not as much as we used to, but travel content every week. And we're trying to keep readers sort of educated so they can make their own decisions. But also I'm on Twitter at msiddiqui and Instagram. I need to post pretty pictures again. So I'll be traveling somehow through my photographs at Sadiq's. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Marianne. This was great. It's fitting in a month that we're talking all about balance that Anne Brody is joining me today with a new series on Netflix that actually has to do about finding balance. Welcome to the show, Anne. Well, thank you, Candace. I don't know if people are aware of the Headspace app. Um, I haven't used it because it costs money, but it's about meditation, about slowing down, learning to let go, all of that good stuff. And Netflix has gone and made a show about it uh, with the uh, former Buddhist monk who founded it called Andy Puttycomb. Um, it's, it's really terrific. And, you know, on Netflix, you've paid for it already, so you don't have to pay again. Um, it's about time they did this, and I'm very, very pleased. Uh, and I think this is going to be our new fixation this year, right? Try a well, little I- meditation. Yeah, I think we're all going to need to find that space where we can let go of our stress and our anxiety uh, and sort of just be present in the moment. So that's why this month we're sort of, I'm sort of pursuing those themes in in our interviews. So I was so pleased to see that you brought this to us. I have the Calm app, uh, but I've heard really good things about Headspace. So um, I think everybody should go check that out. But what else do we have this week that people absolutely can't miss? Quite quite the selection of stuff. Uh, (laughs) Fran Leibowitz is a... uh, a former writer, she wrote uh, uh, Sarcastic Views of New York, um, really successful. She was part of Andy Warhol's crew. Um, she's 70 years old now, and the wit is incredible. She got writer's block a couple of decades ago, and she can't write anymore. But she tours, and she does these concert tours, and she's really in demand. Amazing person. She owns 10,000 books. She doesn't have a computer or cell phone, never has. And the stuff that comes out of her mouth is so wise and funny and sarcastic. Uh, So Martin Scorsese is a big fan of hers and a friend. He sat down with her to do several episodes of a show called Let's Pretend It's a City. And it's well worth watching. She'll have you on the floor at times. Uh, She just nails every situation you can imagine living in New York. So, you know, that's highly recommended. And I remember her uh, actually, you know, as Gen X, I sort of remember her as a bit of an icon uh, for my generation. She's really amazing. So I'm eager to see this. Uh, You also have a show called Dear Comrades. What's that about? Yeah, well, it's a little bit of of political uh, black and white seriousness from Russia. It's a Russia, Italy copro about a woman who's in the Soviet Union party. She's an executive and she's a real hardliner. Well, the food prices go up in her town and all the workers strike and the government sends in people and there's a massacre. And this is based on a real story. Well, she realizes that her daughter, who is not a Soviet and a protester, was there uh, and thus begins this journey of hers into realization of what her government is all about. It's just stunning and I wouldn't be surprised at all if it gets nominations it's Amazon Prime Video okay now you also have the Invisible Man and I have to say I'm absolutely not going to watch this but for the people who no. like to be scared no. tell them all about it okay this is why I haven't reviewed it before it's been on for a long time I was frightened so I watched it and <laughs> the first seven minutes I had to phone someone it was that scary <laughs> Elizabeth Moss stars as a woman married to a tech 
mogul entrepreneur and he's been abusing her coercive uh, control of her for decades and he surveils everything she does, her movements, her car, her phones, everything. Well, one night she packs a bag and runs away. Her sister takes her far away and she lives at someone else's home. Um, he kills himself. So she figures life is fine. And then she begins to realize that where she's living in this house, strange things are happening. And I'm not gonna tell you anymore, just that if you really want a big experience, do not watch at night. Do not watch alone. Watch it in broad daylight. It's chilling. I'm, it's I'm like probably sleep with the lights on by the sounds of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she's great. She's great. I so. really do love Elizabeth Moss. She's she's wonderful. All right. She the last one, we've, we've got about a minute left here. And I really want to hear about this one because it's right up my alley. The History, history of, of Swears. <laughs> on Netflix. Nick Cage is all done up like a Vincent Price type. And he's an academic sitting in this living room. And there are uh, five episodes, one, two, three, six episodes, each episode devoted to one swear word. It goes back to its roots, mostly in Anglo-Saxon culture. And then how the, how the word changes over the years, over the, over the centuries to become really bad, to become religiously bad, to become part of the language and then accepted and devalued. And I can't say what the words are. You're going to have to tune in, but I think you'll really get a kick out of it. Yeah, <laughs> Sarah Silverman's in it, and a bunch of entomologists and uh, historians. So it's it's well worth it. <laughs> yeah, that's actually going to be a little bit of fun for me this week, I think. So thank you for Good. sharing that. And if people want to know more, they can go to whatshesaidtalk.com and see Anne's weekly columns, where she reviews all of these and more. Anne, thank you so much for joining me today. We'll see you again next week. See you next week. Happy. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. Staring at the blank page before you open up the dirty window that the sun We all have the same 24 hours in a day to use, but some of us are far better than others at managing our time. I am definitely in the still learning category, which is why I invited my next guest to join me. Karma Brown is an award-winning journalist and best-selling author of five novels. She is also a self-professed night owl, recovered, until she decided she was going to own her time instead of time owning her. She share, shares how she did it and how you can, too, change your relationship with time in the 4% fix, how one hour can change your life. Welcome to the show, Karma. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Was there a aha moment for you that made you realize I'm not doing all I can with the time I have? Yes, and it came quite uh, rapidly with the birth of my child, who never slept. And I don't mean like she didn't sleep, you know, that great at night. I mean, she never napped and she got up around 3.30 every morning. And so I spent a lot of time with her in those early toddler years uh, where she'd be up and we'd be doing crafts at 4 a.m. and watching one of her cartoons. And I just realized that, you know, I could probably do something with that time. She was okay. I was there. I was present enough for her. And I just thought, well, maybe I'm going to see if I can write while she's watching Dora the Explorer. And I tried it and it worked. And, you know, now all these years later, she's 12 and she sleeps in as long as she can, if she's not in school. And I still get up by 5am and work every morning on my creative process. You know, I'm not yeah, it's work, but it's, for me, it's really my creative time, my quiet, creative time. Do you wake up with an alarm clock at 5am or is this sort of just a natural, your eyes pop open and you're ready to go at 5am now? It, it happens without an alarm. I mean, I set an alarm every night because things happen and occasionally you sleep in. Um, like this morning I had an alarm set for 520 and I got up at 10 to 5. You know, so it's just, I, it's such a habit for me now. And I wake up, I get out of bed, I get my coffee and I just get to it. So habits are made though, right? You have to actually make, put the work in to make a habit 
work for you. So you yes. start writing these books, you're chasing your dream. And you, you, you know, I, I imagine there must have been a lot of experimentation for you in managing your time effectively. Yeah, there was. And, you know, it's, I still am a work in progress. I mean, you're talking about trying to get a handle on your time. And I still feel like that, even though I've been doing this for over a decade now, you know, it just doesn't go perfectly every single morning. Uh, but the habit itself, it really is about just getting up and committing to it and then making it happen more days than not, you know, and if you need an alarm to do that, or you need another way to get yourself out of bed, um, then that's what I suggest. And I will say, I mean, if your hour, if this hour that you can find is not at 5am, like that is not a time you can ever do, you can find it at 11pm. You know, you can be a night owl. It's just the morning is peaceful. No one needs you for anything. Your email has not exploded yet. Children are generally sleeping if you have them in your house. You know, it's just a very peaceful time of the day. And you're fresh because you've slept. Now you're writing these books. You've got five bestsellers, obviously. You're managing your time effectively. Was there a moment you decided that the system you were using was worth sharing with others? Well, I have been obsessively sharing it with others via social media because it works so well. And I'm, people are like, how am I going to get this book written, especially now in lockdown and the kids are home and it's like, okay, well, I have a solution, get up at five. And then people say, that's crazy. Um, but it wasn't, you know, actually the publisher Harper Collins approached me and said, we would like you to write a book about how you have gotten up at 5am to write your books and to work on this dream that you had, you know, to write your first book. And so I said, yes, like that sounds great. And then I had to figure out how to write a book about getting up at 5 a.m. Because of course it isn't just about that, right? It's about habits and it's about investing in yourself and it's about managing your time and um, giving yourself that first piece of cake instead of handing it out to everyone else first. So it was quite a process. And, but I learned a lot also writing this book, you know, for myself, just, why this works, why I want to keep doing it, uh, why I recommend it for people to try if they have a project they've always wanted to do and have felt time constrained. So, so here's what I love about this. In the introduction of the 4% fix, uh, you mentioned it's not about one of the, you know, you have a little list of things to do, you know, you do it for you. But one of the things you mentioned is that it's not about productivity. Mm -hmm. And I really like that. So expand on that a little bit. Why is it not about productivity? Yeah, well, the second you make it about productivity, it's just another to-do list that you're trying to check off and a day that is full of to-do lists and full of responsibilities. And so the idea is not about being productive and feeling like that's great if you get accomplished what you hope to get accomplished. And I think you should have a goal for how you're spending your time. But it is about the process of it. It is about the realization of this dream or this project or this thing that you're curious about that you just haven't had the time to explore. And so productivity puts a box around what you're trying to do that just, again, makes it feel like a task. And it's not meant to feel like a task. It's meant to feel more elevated than that and fun and creative. You know, it can be like little C creative, you know, writing or playing an instrument is big C creative, but there's also plenty of little C creative things that you can be doing with that time. So I, you know, it's, again, it is not about a to-do list or a spreadsheet or ticking a box. Um, that is the wrong way to look at, you know, how you're spending that hour. So here's what I think is a struggle for a lot of people. I think a lot of people look at their life and they say, I could be more productive with my health. I could be more effective with work. I could be chasing a dream of being an artist, a writer, and so on. And so they have too many choices mm -hmm. and they don't know where to start. Is there something yeah. that you would say to people who are, who are sort of looking at this saying, I don't really know what to do with that one hour because I have so much I want to do? Yeah, one of the things that I do, and I don't write it down all the time now, but I have this sort of focused for list that I use for myself. And so every day I am working at doing something for my health, something for my productivity, something for my family, and something for my wellness. And you can change those around. Those are the ones that I'm focusing on right now in 2021. And so something for productivity might be trying to get my inbox down to zero. I'm not going to do that during that magical hour that I have in the morning, but it's still a very clear thing that I can check off. 
uh, for my creativity, it might be to get up and write. And maybe it's not even a book I'm working on now. So I use a way, like a way to sort of compartmentalize it because I agree, it can just, this is why resolutions don't work. People are like, you know, there's a hundred of them and you're going to tackle them all January 1st. And it doesn't work because we cannot create that many habits at once. We cannot work on that many things at once. Uh, you really just want to try to, you know, sort out one thing. So by dividing it up into this, these four categories, that there's one thing every day that I can focus on within each of those categories. It really helps me to stay focused and to make sure that I am, you know, I'm getting to my priorities, like the things that really matter to me in a given day. So now you went out and you found stories of people who had managed their time effectively. So was there something in particular that you found that really uh, helped you? Uh, I think it was just the reinforcement that the only way to make this work is to commit to yourself. And the people who I talk to who have had success in a variety of different ways, um, you know, with this idea of getting up early or committing this hour for themselves, it really was about this idea that they get to be first. And I also have found for a lot of women who I speak to about this, you know, they're not used to putting themselves first. They're used to taking that last piece of cake, uh, whether it be kids or, you know, work responsibilities or whatever it is. And so when it works, it's because you understand that you can take that first piece of cake. That is yours. You should take it first. Everybody and you deserve it. Get cake. And you deserve it. And why shouldn't you have that first piece? So, you know, I think that that was the theme for everyone who has had some success, at least in one area of their life doing this. That was the idea that they put themselves first and by investing in their time, you know, they're investing in themselves. And I love that you're not making success. And I'm putting this in quotes about being part of the millionaires club. Success is how you define it. I love that. Uh, so if people yeah. want to find uh, the 4% fix, where can they get that right now? It is all over the place right now. This is what it looks like. This lovely sunny yellow cover, which is perfect for 5 a.m. Uh, when it's still dark, by the way, right now, but it is available at anywhere that you buy books. So Indigo Chapters, uh, Costco, online, definitely at the our independent booksellers. Please look for them first, especially during our lockdown time. If you can get it from your local bookstore, please do. But yeah, it's it's out there and ready to be consumed. And I, and I know that you're up at 5am and active on social today. <laughs> so if people want to find you on Twitter and connect with you, your Twitter handle is Karma K Brown. Wonderful. That's it. Thank you yeah. so much for joining me today, Karma. Thanks, Candice. So nice to see you. We all know there is a direct correlation between our mood and our smile. Uh, and your smile is very important going into 2021. So Anita Deddy from Dental X is joining me today. And we're going to be talking about the effects stress can have on our smile, uh, more specifically our teeth. Uh, welcome to the show, Anita. Thank you for having me. So it's great to have you back. As you know, this last year has been extremely stressful. Let's talk about the ways that can manifest in our smile. So what we're seeing mostly um, in the recent months, um, we have seen people mostly for dental emergencies. And one of the most common things we have seen is um, grinding uh, and clenching. So people come in and they, um, they say that they have a lot of pain on their joints, um, like I mean their TMJ, um, they have headaches, um, they sometimes also they have uh, pain in their ears, and that believe it or not is only from grinding their teeth. So when we tell them to people, they kind of you know, are surprised because how is that related, but it is, and um, people have to make sure that they do a little bit of uh, stress relief um, kind of you know, things to make sure that they uh, don't grind as much uh, during the nighttime. Um, and uh, some of the things we see also from grinding is cracked teeth, broken teeth, um, which, um, which unfortunately it's, it's not so good for now because people have lost their insurances. 
Um, and when they come in, they come up to um, a big bill um, because they sometimes might need a root canal, they might need uh, extraction and they need replacement of that particular tooth. So definitely it's not so good uh, for the people, especially at this uh, period of time. I want to talk a little bit about um, teeth grinding. Because I know that a lot of people go to bed and it happens during the night, uh, but it can also happen during the day almost. Um, you don't even realize you're doing it sometimes. It becomes so habit forming. Is there something we can do to uh, catch it? Uh, you know, so is there a guard we can wear in our mouth or, or something we can be doing at home? Um, a lot of times um, it's most common uh, people um, like when they grind during the day because at night it's a little bit hard, you know, like unless you have headaches or somebody sleeping, you know, next to you. But that's how they know. But during the day, um, it's very hard because it comes um, it comes very natural. And uh, before I used to say, you know what, people used to grind when they used to drive or they went uh, to the gym. Those were the two things that uh, people used to grind and especially men. But uh, nowadays, it's mostly from the stress that is related to the lockdown, to the losing of their job, um, and all those things, you know, related to the COVID-19. Uh, what they can do, um, sometimes it's, you know, like I like this kind of, you know, grandma's recipes. And um, it's something very easy you can do is to put the tongue between the teeth and just kind of uh, stay like that for a couple of minutes. And uh, that's the most relaxed position that your, uh, uh, your TMJ can stay. And if you can do that a few times a day, that can relax your muscle and you don't have as much pain. And um, also what we can do in a professional setting, it's called a night guard that you wear at um, nighttime. Um, it's not the most comfortable thing that you can have, but it can definitely save your teeth from cracking, from breaking. Um, and it's something that you get used to it like everything else. So it's, um, it's not, you can buy if you want, it's a very cheap um, that you can buy at the store at Shoppers. Um, but it's not the same, the same thing because that's just one size fits all. And the ones that we make here, they're a little bit more expensive, but they are customized. So we take an impression and we make them that they are, up, they are just for your teeth. And they are a little bit more comfortable and still you need to get used to it a little bit. But um, you need to do that as soon as you find out that you might be grinding. Okay. And what about our gum health? Is stress affecting that at all? Uh, definitely, it is uh, stressing the gum. Um, and that's why we see now that there is a lot more uh, inflammation of the gums. Um, and there is, um, you know, people that uh, are smoking, they're probably smoking a little bit more than uh, before. So that's also affecting our gums. And um, people are not, unfortunately, they're not taking um, as good care as they used to, because you kind of lose your interest when you're so stressed, when you're losing, you know, like, I mean, um, important people, people in your life, you're not having the same social life um, outside, and all these things can stress you, and um, taking care of your oral health is probably the last thing, you know, you think about, and that's also, um, unfortunately, affecting it, and, and also because people are losing their jobs and their insurances, they are not getting the professional cleanings um, every few months, um, and they are proper dental care um, in the dental offices. Is there a supplement um, that you recommend people take at all to, to help maintain gum health? Um, I, you can. You can have uh, different kind of supplements, which are good for your overall health and um, your oral health. But again, I'm very much on the grandma's recipes. So what I usually suggest is um, a little bit of warm salt water two or three times a day, if it's possible. And when you rinse, uh, the salt kind of kills all the bad bacteria that is in your mouth and helps with inflammation of the gums. And I, it's very cheap. It's very easy. Um, it doesn't really, you know, cost anything. So it's such a good thing to do. It's easy to do. And I say, please do it a few times a day. That can definitely improve your oral health and the gum health. You know, you've mentioned that 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 tip before, and I have to tell you, since you've mentioned it, I've been doing it here at home now. Uh, so I keep a little uh, jar of salt on my counter uh, near my drinking glass, and I swish with salt water a couple of times a day. So great advice, as always. Uh, if people want to find you, how can they connect with you, Anita? So um, we are very active on our social media. So Instagram, dentalex.ca, Facebook um, at uh, dentalex, or Twitter at dentalexsmiles. Also, they can send us an email on our website, dentalex.ca. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Candice, for having me.
Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. I'm not your friend. Along with our theme of balance, we can't forget our teenagers who are probably feeling a little off kilter themselves right now with many of them stuck at home and unable to go back to school. Joining me now is Allie Payne, our resident teen expert, to talk about the important quest for balance with teenagers. Welcome to the show, Allie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is so important right now as we enter, what are we, month nine or ten? Of course. Honestly, we're coming up on almost a year now. We're only a couple of short months away from a year of doing wow. this. And so it's, it is getting exhausting and it's wearing on us all, but it teenagers is. in particular, you know, this has got to feel like a lot. Yeah. Because there's perspective of life is so much shorter. So I saw a meme the other day and I thought how appropriate it said, we should thank our teenagers for giving up their entire lives as they know it to help keep the rest of us safe. And I thought, isn't that appropriate? Because for them, this whole event of giving up their lives has actually been exhausting. Mm -hmm. It's been as exhausting for them as it is for us as parents to try and maintain all of these protocols. (laughs) And I think if we don't start paying attention to this level of exhaustion that they're having, we're going to run ourselves into more serious problems. So relative to bringing more balance in 2021, I think the first thing is screen time. It's, it is okay. Excuse me. And many psychologists have also said, you know, extra screen time right now isn't a bad thing because it's how our teens are connecting. So we definitely want them to connect. Absolutely. However, rather than have a phone glued to their hand, because we numb out during social media or television or whatever that is, our brain is not actually resting. Now, if we're connecting with people that can trigger some really positive hormones in the brain, but for the most part, there needs to be a period of every day where we are without technology because our brain actually doesn't rest until it gets into a lower state of brain waves, which, um, funny enough, there's apps, which I know that's like, Ellie, you just said, don't be on the phone, but, but there's apps that we can use to really leverage things to build more calm. Calm is actually one of the top apps. Headspace is another app. And you and I were just talking about one called 1000 hours outside. Is that correct? Yeah. And it's a website now. I'm not sure if it's an app or not, but I ju- it just came to my attention. And basically it is, it's looking to match outdoor time with screen time. So for every hour of screen time, you have an hour of out- outdoor time. And it's really trying to find that balance between the two, as you and I both know, and from an adult perspective, we right. understand um, that outdoor, outdoor time is essential uh, to mental health. It's trying Absolutely. to convince the teens of that. <laughs> right. And I know my our family and lots of other families have put into play, you know, you have to be outside an hour a day or you have to be outside 20 minutes a day. I mean, I guess it's weather dependent uh, in, here in Canada as to how cold that is. But the fresh air, also the light in the back of the eye, whether it, I guess it would be at sunset now for teenagers after school, helps to mon- to regulate the circadian rhythm. And so there's that, which is really important. It's also about um, our brains are right now in a very low level of stress. It, it doesn't matter if you're a teen or a parent, we're in a low level of stress because the life, the life as we know it, it wasn't there. And so the only way to alleviate that is to calm the brain, which using some of these apps and breathing that we're talking about, generally not being in front of the phone is also to look at creativity. And I had this noticing of myself over the holidays and feeling kind of down about a lack of people that when I allowed myself to be just wildly creative, and I'm wondering if I know this feels like another thing for parents, but what if our teens were encouraged to pick up a hobby, like old school hobby, one that doesn't involve technology? I don't care what it is, collecting, pasting, stamping, sewing, cooking, 
um, drawing, painting, really anything. Creativity is the one thing that will actually heal the level of continuous stress and strain on our brains that's creating so much fatigue. Yeah, and a lot of the reading I've been doing too, you know, creativity is born from boredom. And yes. when we're constantly having a screen in our face, we're not allowing ourselves to get bored, uh, you know, the, that traditional sense of being bored. Uh, and right. that's where creativity comes from. So, um, and creativity is so crucial, again, to mental health. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go paint the Mona Lisa, but, no. you know, it's even just journaling or putting a puzzle together. It allows you to think differently and sort of get neurons, you know, connecting in a different way, right? Which is so important. Right. And it really does rejuvenate the brain and mitigate the effects of long-term stress. And so if boredom is required where, you know, they're not doing anything, but please do this with your teen consciously. Don't, don't, don't just start taking their phone and saying, that's it. You got to have this conversation and be transparent that you're not doing it to be against them, but you're doing it to help their mental health during this phase. So that when they hit the boredom, then you can start to be in conversation with them about what they might do. I mean, heck, they can go through a recycling bin and build some stuff. It doesn't even have to cost a lot of money. But I really, really encourage parents to help their teenagers to access a, a level of creativity that does not involve technology right now so that we can buoy our brains through however long this is going to take. Amazing. Okay. Allie, always great information. If people want to connect with you, where can they find you? Uh, best place, my website, uh, AllyPayne.com. Instagram is at AllyPayne. And TikTok, you'll find me at AllyPayne. Okay, incredible. Thank you, Allie. We'll see you again soon. Thanks so much. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at WhatSheSaidTalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify for extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. <laughs>